Good morning. This is Patrick Donahue. I should say good evening. <laughs> Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. We try to deal with the tough subjects here. All subjects in the Bible are important. Subjects that don't have to do with uh, have anything to do with the Bible are really not important. They pale in comparison. Politics, sports, anything else is not important compared to the topic of religion and what a person has to do to be pleasing to God and spend eternity with God in heaven. Thought I'd talk about an important subject tonight, the subject of divorce and remarriage. A sentinel passage regarding what God says on divorce and remarriage is Matthew 19.9, which reads, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Let's break that passage down into two parts. First, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. That implies a man may divorce his wife for cheating on him sexually and remarry with God's approval. But let's don't overlook the fact that it rules out any other cause for divorce as being unscriptural. So if a person divorces their spouse for incompatibility, that's the most common cause in the state of Alabama where I live, and remarries, Jesus calls the second marriage adultery. Now that doesn't sound like a person can stay in such a marriage and be pleasing to God, does it? Since when can a person be living in adultery and still be pleasing to God? Now let's look at the second part of Matthew 19.9. Whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So if a man divorces his wife and someone else marries her, that put away wife, they are committing adultery in that second marriage according to the second part of Matthew 19.9. But just why is it adultery for a man to divorce his wife and remarry? Romans 7, verses 2 and 3, helps us with that question. It reads, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So the reason second marriages are called adulterous by Jesus is because at least one partner in the new marriage is still bound or obligated to their original spouse. God expects couples to stay together until, quote, death do us part. And so if they don't stay together, if they divorce and remarry, they are cheating on their original rightful spouse. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. That number is 877-655-6755. Now, let's compare Matthew 19.9 to Matthew 5.32. Here's how Matthew 5.32 reads. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. This reads almost exactly the same as Matthew 19.9, but there's one significant difference. Whereas Matthew 19.9 talks about the remarriage of the one doing the putting away, Matthew 5.32 does not. It condemns the divorce by the man 
even if he never remarries. From Matthew 19.9, we learn that divorce and remarriage is adultery. From Matthew 5.32, then, we learn that divorce all by itself, even with no remarriage, is also sinful. Phil from Michigan, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hi, Patrick. On a previous program, I I accused you of being into legalism, and you seem to take it as a compliment. Uh, this week I heard two things about legalism. I just wanted to run by you and get your opinion on it. The first okay, one thanks, is, uh, thanks for your call, Phil. Yeah, the first one is uh, your, your eternal location changes based upon your performance in legalism. And the second one is legalism, clean and crisp on the outside, dry and dead on the inside. Hmm. You know, I was thinking about that, uh, something related to that second statement. A lot of people think that since we're saved by grace, Phil, that means we can just live willy-nilly, live any old way we want to. But really, the fact that we're saved by grace that Jesus went to all this trouble, went through a horrifically painful death, sacrificial death, so that we could be forgiven for our sins, that doesn't imply that we're just going to live any old way we want to, but it implies just the opposite. We're going to appreciate what Jesus has done for us enough that we're going to want to live for him. We're going to want to serve him with all our heart, soul, and mind. So, so the very opposite, I think, Phil, is true. The more a person obeys obeys God, the more that shows, as a general rule, now some people obey God just because they're trying to please a pretty girl, but the more they obey God, the more that indicates that their heart is right with God. You know, the Bible says, and this goes to that question and to your first statement, Phil, Jesus said, not Jesus, but the writer of Hebrews said, talking about Jesus, that he became the Quote, author of eternal salvation and to all them that obey him. And so that verse shows that obedience, which is really what legalism boils down to, obeying God's law. Of course, we're under the law of Christ, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 now. And so one who tries to obey God's law, even down to the smallest detail, because they appreciate what Jesus has done for us and they love Jesus, Jesus said in John 14:15, "If you love me, keep my commandments." And so we don't when we don't keep his commandments, feel that implies we don't love him. And so obedience is just as much a condition of salvation as faith or belief. After all, James 2:24 says, "You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only." Phil, you have any follow-up with that? Well, yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I I, I try I try to live a godly life because I know I'm going to heaven. But if I wasn't sure that I was going to heaven, I really don't think I'd be living as godly of a life as I am living. Yeah. You know, Phil, I think that the very opposite of that is is true. We have all these preachers out here preaching once saved, always saved. And I, and I say it's not just a theoretical doctrine because it leads to loose living. When people think that they can live any old way they want to and still be saved then most of them are going to live any old way they want to. And so the exact opposite of what Phil said is true, that when we teach that people, because they're Christians, have a license to sin, then they follow through on that license. They use that license. They sin because they think, I can sin. 
I have a license to sin. I'm going to be saved anyway because a once saved, always saved. But of course, Galatians 5, 4 does away with this idea that a Christian can't fall from grace. It says, you who would be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Proves beyond any shadow of a doubt that a Christian has to live faithful to God to be saved. Isn't that what Revelation 2.10 says? Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Carl from Las Vegas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yes, going back to, uh, to the divorce scripture, I have a friend that's uh, getting prepared to go through her sixth divorce. So, you know, based on what you were just saying, you know, what if, I mean, what advice do you give her not to get married again? Uh, because she claims to be a born-again Christian, has been for at least four of those marriages, and, uh, you know, tends to go away from her faith while she's married, but then when she gets divorced, then she clings on to it again, but it just goes through this repeated cycle. Yes, I, I, I would, unless every single one of those divorces, which is not likely, was for fornication. And Carl, you read, you heard me read Matthew nineteen nine that a divorce had to be for fornication to be scriptural, right? Yes, sir. Unless every single one of those divorces was for fornication, and it's not likely they were, then if she marries again, she's going to be. Jesus calls that marriage is adultery. And here's what I would recommend. 1 Corinthians 7, 10, 11 says, But unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried to be reconciled to her husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. So sometime in the past, that wife that you're talking about departed or left or divorced her original husband. And so that's a sin, according to 1 Corinthians 17, because it said, Let not the wife depart from her husband. She violated God's law. Now, this passage goes on to say, now what if a person does commit that sin? Well, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So the woman you're talking about, I would suggest that she should seek reconciliation with that original husband. Not likely he's going to take her back. If he takes her back, that's great. But if he won't, then she should remain unmarried, according to this verse. Make sense, Carl? Yes, it does. Thank you. Carl, just remember that God expects us to follow through on our vows. You remember our vows in sickness and in health, for richer or poor, till death do us part? God expects us to fulfill those vows, and when we don't, then we're in sin. Make sense? It does. Thank you. Thank you very much. Carl, thank you for your call. Curtis from Missouri, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Well, yeah, no, I guess kind of a question slash comment. Uh, and I, I appreciate, you know, your studies in the Scripture and everything, and uh, and for all who do study the Scripture. I guess my first question, I guess, slash comment is, when Christ is talking to the woman at the well, you remember that Scripture? Uh, yeah, and he's talking, John yeah, chapter and, and, 4. Exactly, exactly. And it's funny what he says. He says, uh... He talks to her about how many husbands she's had and the man that she's not that she's living with that's not her husband. Mm-hmm. Well, my question is this: Do you, when studying the scripture, do you know who that woman was, uh, who she became? No, I don't well, think the Bible ever says. No, the Bible doesn't, but history does. And that was Saint Fultini, who actually saved a whole entire city, who God used. Mm-hmm. God you so my thing is this I think a lot of times taking the scripture and putting it towards our own uh our own perception instead of making it as how God see it because 
our mind can't comprehend the things that God, our, God's mercy, we can never comprehend. We can never comprehend how he gave his only son. Me, nor you can ever understand that. So then to try to say, well, we can understand how he judges is the lack there. I mean, we sit there, we, we limit ourselves then. And you limit what God can really do to somebody else. See, what you're doing, you're saying that, oh, well, you know, this is exactly it. When Christ knelt down and he was writing in the, in the, in the dirt with the woman that was committed in adultery, which the people that probably, probably caught her were legalists because they said, we found her doing adultery. We don't know what type of adultery, but we do know that she was found. In Christ's writing, he never says, the Bible doesn't say what he wrote down there, but what he did, he got at the same position that woman was, where he could look at her eyes. Curtis, thank you so much for your call. Thank you for your call. And so we look at John 4 and John 8, women that have or in sin or have been in sin. And then if we point out that then they have improved their lives by repenting, that's a good thing. That doesn't take away from the fact that they repented and started living right. That doesn't take away from the fact that, for example, unscriptural divorce and remarriage is adultery doesn't take away from it the fact at all. For example, in John 8, verse 11, when he gets through talking with this woman who's committed adultery, he says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. So that's always the exhortation that God would have to anybody, for example, in an adulterous marriage. For example, we're talking about tonight, go and sin no more. So if you're in an adulterous marriage, go and sin no more would be you can't sleep with that second wife anymore. Because if you sleep with her again, you're committing adultery again. And Jesus' admonition is go and sin no more. Kevin from Delaware, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Good evening. Hey, Kevin. Good to hear from you again. Thank you, sir. Question is, rapture, pre, mid, or post? Can you give me an insight on this? Okay. The rapture is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. It talks about when Jesus comes back, the saints are going to be raptured. That that word rapture is the Latin word for meaning caught up. And I'm going to read from the King James 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. 4.17, 4.17, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, in Latin translations, that's our word rapture, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So when the Lord comes back, the saints that are alive, Kevin, according to this, are going to be raptured. Now, in regard to your question, that all, that, that question, pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, all of that assumes, I think, that there's going to be a time after the rapture where people who were not Christians, who were not faithful, are going to be alive, like in the Left Behind series. All of that assumes that, but that's not what the Bible teaches, Kevin. The Bible teaches when Jesus comes back, the earth's going to be burned up. That's going to be the end of the world. I'm reading from Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall uh, melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So the truth is, Kevin, that when we have the rapture, that is, 
the saints who are alive when Jesus comes back are going to be caught up to meet him in the air. That's the rapture. That is at the same time then as the earth being burned up, the end of the world. So there's not going to be any tribulation after that or anything like that. Does that answer your question, Kevin? I would like to ask, are we the saints that go up? You ask what, Kevin? Say it again. Are we the saints that go up to be raptured? We're not the going to have to go through hell it has to go through the hellfire. Right. In First Thessalonians five seventeen, it's when Jesus comes back, that's the end of the world, according to Second Peter three, verse nine and ten. When Jesus comes back, the saints who are alive are going to be raptured. That means the word raptured means caught up and they're going to meet Christ in the air. The dead are, are going to be raised. Saints, Patrick. Patrick, are we the saints? Christians are saints. Those who are living faithfully to him are the saints. And those that are alive at that time will be raptured up. See what I mean, Kevin? Thank yes, I do. Now, it's Christians only, correct? Yes, Christians, faithful Christians only. And only the alive Christians, the ones that are dead, will be raised from the dead. Those who are alive are the ones that are going to be raptured. Faithful Christians who are alive at the second coming of Christ... So if I die before Christ comes again, I won't be raptured. I'll be raised up from the dead. Those which are alive are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. You see that, Kevin? Yes, I do. Thank I you, certainly sir. appreciate your call. and we'll, we'll hope to talk to you again this week. Okay, Kevin? Thank you. Thank you. Kevin uh, reminds me to, to make this announcement, Kevin is one of those that is studying with me every week by phone. And uh, so I've been offering that the last three or four weeks. If you would like to study with me a one-hour Bible study by phone, then you can go to my, the website, BibleCrossFire.com, and sign up to study with me once a week by phone. One hour, of course, it's free of charge. You can do that. I, I'd love to study with you by via the phone through the week for one hour. Go to BibleCrossFire.com and sign up for that. Now back on to our subject of Matthew 19.9. Lastly, I would like to bring out a passage that, though talking about a situation that occurred while the Old Testament was still binding, still illustrates for us what God expects an unscripturally married couple to do. And that passage is Mark 6, 17 and 18. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call is 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. Now, secular history tells us Herod had divorced his wife and Herodias had divorced her husband. This text tells us that they were now married to each other. Just because they were married, did that make their relationship right? John the Baptist, speaking for God, didn't think so. He told them their marriage was not lawful. And if he told them their marriage was not lawful, what do you think God expected Herod and Herodias to do to rectify the situation? Get out of that marriage, correct? 
Perhaps you are in the listening audience and you're in your second or third marriage. What does God think about your marriage? Is it scriptural according to the passages we've been looking at? Or are you in an adulterous marriage? If so, don't you need to terminate said marriage to get right with God? I would think so. You can't continue to commit adultery and be right with God. That's what we learned the caller called to mention John 4 and John chapter 8. That a person in adultery can be forgiven, but they have to repent. Jesus told the woman in adultery, go and sin no more. Jesus said in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So if you're in one of these unscriptural marriages, a second or third marriage, you're living in adultery. Remember Jesus said, whoever puts away their wife and marries another commits adultery. Luke 16, 18. You're in adultery. If you want to be right with God, you're going to have to repent of that. Go and sin no more. You're going to have to get out of that marriage. You can't continue to commit that sin. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, speaking by inspiration of God and telling people what to do to become a Christian, in Acts 2.38 said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, we've emphasized from that passage in previous programs that a person has to be baptized for the remission of sins to get the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. And we've also emphasized the fact that a person has to repent for the remission of sins in order to get the remission of sins. So if a person's in adultery, living in adultery, perhaps through a second or third marriage, they're going to have to repent of that sin. That means they're going to have to make plans to quit the sin. They're going to have to get out of the marriage. They're going to have to terminate the marriage. Repent and be baptized in order to get the remission or the forgiveness of sins. It's that simple. Um, let me turn to another passage that helps us see that repentance is necessary. I'm turning to Acts 17, verse 30. The Bible says there, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And then Acts 3, verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. We've got to repent of our sins in order to be forgiven of them. And so if we're in a second or third marriage, an adulterous marriage, we'll have to repent of that. We can't continue in that marriage and keep on having marital relations with that woman. That's adultery. We have to go and sin no more, and that would mean we have to terminate the marriage. John from Washington State, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh, hi, and thanks for taking my call. I had just have a comment because uh, Paul in uh, Corinthians, I believe, uh, states many uh, issues. Uh, he talked about the married women. He talked about the virgins. He talked about the ones that are widows. He talked about the women that are unmarried. And uh, so that does that not have to be kind of included into the issue of marriage and divorce and the second thought is if if a man and a wife have made their commitment to the second marriage they've, they've made vows to that marriage in particular so wouldn't it seem um, if I can use the word legalistic to break it no it would be like John suppose uh in uh, 
In most states today, two men can get married, homosexual marriage. And, and they make bow, vows to one another that they're going to stay right. together, be married. But but they've got to, if they want to do what's right, they're going to have to get out of those marriage. When If you make a vow that involves you in sin, I vow to commit sin, you've got to break that vow to get out of that sin. So just like two men, two gays who get married, are going to have to break their vows and get out of that marriage so that they don't continue to commit sin together... It would be the same with an adulterous marriage. You, if you make a vow, if I make a vow to Carol, that's my wife's name, and then later make a vow to Betty that I'm going to be married to her, then I, I owe my obligation is to Carol, not to Betty. So I'm going to have to get out of that marriage. I'm going to have to get out of that marriage with Betty and go back to Carol. So the caller is right. We need to take under consideration 1 Corinthians 7, and there's a lot of information there, but nothing in 1 Corinthians 7 contradicts what Jesus said in Matthew 19.9. If you would like to have that phone Bible study, call or text me at 256-682-9753.